This season of Feminist Frequency Radio, we're bringing our feminist media criticism live to video. That's right. If you would like to see us as well as hear us talk about all things cyberpunk, you can do that at youtube.com slash feminist frequency. The audio quality on the videos are not quite as good as you get from our professionally edited podcast, but you do get to see our shining faces. So, you know, your call. We also have live video of all our bonus episodes with our special guests, which are only available to patrons. So get in on that fun at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now enjoy the show. Hey y'all, you know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. The layer of existential uh, crises I'm dealing with in this moment is I didn't imagine in a million years that either of you all would like it, <laughs> let alone both of you. <laughs> Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada. And this season, our feminist media criticism is the expression of our souls through computer networks. Because this is the season of cyberpunk. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. The new millennium. This is amazing. We'll bring a new experience. How do you fit all that in your head anyway? I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. This is gonna be fun, Terry. Who is this? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Mozart's Ghost, the hottest band on the internet! This week, we are discussing Ghost in the Machine, a 1993 horror sci-fi film from director Rachel Talalay. Karen Allen plays the intended victim of a serial killer who, after his own death, remains alive by way of his soul being (laughs) transferred into a computer where he can continue his killing spree using objects connected to the internet, but also the electrical grid just because same, same. The film's title is a reference to the philosophical concept introduced by Gilbert Ryle in 1949 to describe René Descartes' mind-body dualism. The Ghost in the Machine theme has inspired Stephen King's The Dark Tower, the manga and anime Ghost in the Shell, and a 1981 album by The Police. Before Ghost in the Machine, director Rachel Talalay produced Hairspray and Crybaby for John Waters, who officiated her wedding, by the way. I just found that fun. And her follow-up to this film was none other than Tank Girl. Last night, a killer died. His body was laid to rest. But his soul, that's impossible, has come online. This is gonna be fun, Terry. Who is this? I'm killing your friends. Looks like there was someone else in there with us. The killer died in this hospital. And it was plugged into your computer. There's no way anyone can kill somebody with a computer. Ghost in the Machine. Plug in to your worst nightmare. 
Joining us to discuss this film is a comedian, podcaster, and acclaimed rapper, founder of the Stony Island Audio Podcast Network and host of the show What Had Happened Was. He's released dozens of studio albums and EPs, blended stand-up and music on Comedy Central, and previously podcasted about everything from pro wrestling to the animated series Adventure Time. Welcome back to the show, Open Mike Eagle. Hello, why'd you all do this to me? No, no. Make, make you sound cooler than you are? No, no, no. No, no, it's not what I'm talking about. Although you also have done that. She opened up her address book. She has an analog address book that's stuffed uh-huh. with post-it notes, and she just, like, pointed at your name. And we were like, let's watch Ghost in the Machine. With a digital scanner yeah. connected to a murderer? <laughs> yes, 100%. Nice. That's exactly how this happened. Yeah. Okay, I'm assuming no one has watched this movie before or maybe had never even heard of it. Am I correct in this assumption? I um, thought it was Ghost in the Shell. Yes, I knew it. And in the email I sent about this, I was like, not Ghost in the Shell. I was like, Mike's going to pick the anime and think that this is the anime and it's not. Absolutely did. Absolutely. So it was, I didn't, I purposely didn't pick Ghost in the Shell because I didn't want to, I just didn't feel like talking about the like, the whole bullshit. Thing. Yeah, the race, <laughs> the, the the casting. Like, I just kind of was like, nope. Um, but every time I mentioned this movie, everyone would be like, Ghost in the Shell? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's a different movie. So Mike has never seen this movie before. Kat, had you? Never, never heard of it. I, I did watch, not by accident, but just because I also watched like a little bit of the anime, um, thinking they might be like thematically similar, but they're very different beasts. I literally picked this from a list of cyberpunk movie lists and it was like a man's consciousness, a killer's consciousness enters a computer. And I was like, yes, that's what we have to do. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I've so, seen that Treehouse of Horror episode of The Simpsons. Sure. But other than that, no. So this movie has like 11% on Rotten Tomato. It did not make back its budget in the box office, even remotely. And it is so... Good. It is such a good fucking movie. <laughs> I honestly, I like can't wait for us to dive into it and hear how you all thought about it. But I was like, it started and I was like, man, this credit sequence is really good, actually. Like, this looks really dope. And then, like, there's all these, like, practical effects that were really good. And I just, like, the whole time I was like, wow, this is really holding up. Like, I'm surprised that it, like... The movie knew what it was and it did what it was doing. And so, yes, there are thematic things that I find troubling and representation things that I find troubling. But like as a whole, I was very surprised because I am not a horror person. I'm not really into like cheesy movies. And this like hit a spot for me. Now, Mike, I don't know you. I can't read your expressions, but they are. I, I'm I'm dying to I know. Think, I think you're I think you're you're reading me spot on. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I um you know as as Anita was talking, I thought she was being sarcastic at first, and then I realized she was being serious. Um, I could not have had a more opposite <laughs> reaction and experience watching this uh this movie. I think this movie is really bad. I think it's like super bad. Like I think it's like not. So you're you're in the eleven percent Rotten Tomato category. I think I think eleven percent is too high. Oh, <laughs> I think it should it should have single digits at best. Like this this isn't to me. This isn't one of those movies where it's like, oh, it's so bad, it's good. Mm. They were trying to like like do a thing. I think. Did you like, actually watch the whole thing? I of course. I don't know. You might have been like, this is too bad to keep going. No, no, no. I I eat all of my meals 
even if <laughs> even if uh, even if I don't like it. But you know, I, I wanted to be prepared to discuss it, so I wanted to make sure I saw uh, the whole thing. But if I had known that not completing it was an option, I may have taken it. <laughs> All right, Kat, you are where are you on this very long spectrum? Okay, I loved this movie. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I loved this movie. I just thought it was good. I was like, I'm digging this. Maybe my expectations were so low. Um, perhaps like TMI personal background on this is that, um, since we started dating, my boyfriend has been trying to get me to be as into Twin Peaks as he is. And I'm not. And um, there's a guy from Twin Peaks in this movie. So just like the fact that I was like, oh, this fuck. I can't get I can't get away from Twin Peaks like there's some guy that's going to be in this movie. So maybe my expectations are really low. Um, but also after we've been watching Johnny Mnemonic and these other 90s movies, I was like, honestly, the graphics are pretty good. She's got a point of view. I like I thought she had style. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm Googling while I'm watching the movie. And she was involved in all the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And I was like, okay, I see who this person is. Um, There's as much nonsense to this movie as I think any of the other ones we've been watching, where it's like they don't know what the internet is. They didn't consult anyone who works in computers, (laughs) um, who works in computers, you know. Um, But I felt like I would probably watch this movie again before i'd watch the net again and uh yeah i was thinking about the fact that so mike we're like almost done with our cyberpunk season at this point and so we've watched a lot of like 90s movies and i there is a part of me that's like i feel like for kat and i it's on this spectrum of like what we've already engaged totally and how like like actually like solid the pacing was um, and like, it, it, it didn't leave me hanging in some ways, like other movies where you're like Johnny Mnemonic, you're like, what the fuck is happening? Why is this movie still on? Or like the net that had some pacing <clears throat> problems too. Um, and so there might be some of that, but, but, but I do want to just like offer that, like, I do think that this is, this movie is solid in, in terms of its structure. And I don't like, I feel bad being like, well, maybe in comparison to other movies, you know? <laughs> well, it's like every 10 minutes I was like, I'm following this. And that was like a big celebration. <laughs> so like maybe that is really damned by faint praise. But I was like, I actually get what they're saying is happening where I could not say that with, um, I don't know, existence or whatever else. <laughs> like It felt like, okay, so I watched it with a friend and like, you know, it's it's a movie for me that you watch with people. Um, and that is like a participatory experience. Maybe that's right. Because- I, that, maybe that was my mistake. <laughs> I didn't have any people. <laughs> the harsh light of solitude. <laughs> totally. I could just see like sitting around by yourself and being like, wow, this is like, what? But the fact that you're like, oh my God, he's about to come out of the cable box. <laughs> you know, or you're like, or you're like, fucking look at that, like whatever. Or like you're anticipating what the thing is going to be. And I think that there was something like fun about the like, okay, what is it going to be next for me? Like what, you know, where are we going to go with that? And so I don't know. I like, I, I am sorry. I know I keep saying this. I'm so surprised at how much I actually sincerely enjoyed this movie because it's just so not my jam. But so let's, let's get into it. I think that there's a number of interesting things happening in terms of like how technology exists in this. I think there's like representational stuff that is a oh. big one. Like, this you know, you know that this big is hip hop problem. <laughs> yes. So like, 
And I, I'd love you to get into this because we, <laughs> it starts with a shot of like the all American family and you know, they're an all American white, you know, blue eyed family because there's literally a pie and a baseball glove sitting oh, wow. on the fucking counter. And then you meet this kid who is just like super appropriating hip hop culture in just the most embarrassing ways. It's really, it's really a lot. It's really a lot. Like, I was I, I found myself looking to see who produced it because I was like, there has to be a record label attached to this mm. somehow where like this music is is somebody's double dipping and getting money on the music side too because none of these choices make any sense. Like this this uh, suburban child with his way too big jeans is listening to like the most rudimentary generic like I I. I I could not wrap my head around it. And and to me, like that was the part that was to me like, oh, this is this is just all some big bit. This is all some at somebody's amusement. Um, and I couldn't couldn't understand it at all. I couldn't understand the choice. I did have yeah, a, I, a moment when they were watching In Living Color later where I was like, was that on Fox? Because this was a Fox movie. Like was. I was trying to think it how was. that connection yeah. was was happening. I looked up the soundtrack because I was like, this is you know, like literally the first time we hear rap music, it's just, it's literally don't call me N-word. Yes. Whitey. Like it's so blatant and, and and I don't mean aggressive in terms of like rap being aggressive, but just like no subtlety. It's it's really bizarre. I recognize so few names on, on the soundtrack and it felt like, like, could they not get the rights to music we would recognize, like that were bigger acts or like. Yeah. They were very I, you know, obscure, weird songs and that first moment i think the protagonist is talking to her mother about um how the son is doing yes. and you hear yeah you hear upstairs don't call me nigger like, like that's not even a song <laughs> it's not a song like that is weird but so and and in that song too like it says like whitey over and over and i was like is this supposed to is this supposed to be a commentary on the whiteness of this family in some ways? Like, I don't even think it's that deep, but like, yeah. why, why that choice, you know? I don't know? And then he has a black friend. So like, it makes it okay that he That's certainly what that, <laughs> what that character is about. That character's whole existence is to make this kid's uh, uh, obsession with hip hop make some sort of sense, but it, it still doesn't. Because this kid would have punched him in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that in that scene with Jessica Walter, the grandma, saying like, oh, how is my grandson doing? I suppose with the divorce or with the death of his father, unclear. And then once you hear the rap coming from upstairs, she's like, I can tell he's doing okay. Like it's used as the code of like, clearly this kid's not doing okay because look how baggy his pants are, which is like a through line joke. I would describe the kid aesthetically for those of you who didn't pirate this movie to watch it because I, well, I guess you could have rented it, but um, he looks like a member of the BK Kids Club from Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that is like, was my first thought. Um, and there are like numerous moments where he's like pulling up his boxers and pulling and like tucking his shirt into them, pulling his jeans down. And it's very like, I mean, I think a, What's funny is a lot of these movies do that about tech. They're like, it's 1993. Like, they're doing it mostly through this kid. And, like, if the mom works around computers but will never understand them, like, today's youth 
can play porn games or be exposed to rap music or whatever other things are like coded as being bad for kids. I think part of his his hip hop obsession too was meant to play as uh rebellion because his dad left. Mm-hmm. Which is also strange. <laughs> it's also very, very strange. It, it, it and just pay, like pinging another thing, Kat, like mentioning that this is 1993. It also feels like it's supposed to be like we are aware of the times, right? Right. Like this is the the sort of like mainstream commodification of rap culture, and like and so like obviously this kid would be like you know, sort of like we know what's happening in the world at this moment, right? Which is kind of what you were saying. I also, so like, okay, 1993, um, the technology in this is fucking hilarious. And I will say though, that it, there are, okay. One of my big problems with, with this type of cyberpunk, right? There's there, I think that there's like two big categories of cyberpunk. One is the like techno fear, right? Mm. Like technology is going to destroy us and ruin us. And it's the most dangerous, horrible thing that could ever happen. And the other side is like rebels who are using technology to overthrow the, the corporate elites or what have you. So I really struggle with the techno fear stuff because I don't like that. Even even in even when I have to like comment on technology that's used to harass people, I'm just like, okay, but like technology's not bad. It's what we do with it, right? So in this movie, I think that there's some really weird, like prescient, like forward-looking elements of the way the technology harasses people. Like mm. they literally swat them. Yes. Like swatting is a thing that happens today. It happens frequently to streamers. And it's when um, harassers will call the police um, and say that there is a kidnapping or some other kind of hostile um, activity, some crime happening in someone's house so that they will send a SWAT team in to attack, you know, someone who's just streaming and then it's all on camera. And so when they did that, I was like, it wasn't really a thing that was happening then. So I just think it's interesting that as like one of a few examples in this that I was like, that's really interesting that they were like seeing that at the time. I think that's what happens when we look back 30 years too, is like with tech in particular in movies and like, I'm interested. I think that's one of the cool things about this season and looking at like, how did we, how did Hollywood try to portray technology in the nineties, turn of the century is like it is both prescient to the point where you're like, oh yeah, some of this stuff is so commonplace today, but also there's elements of it that are like completely don't make any sense at all. Like um, I was just, I, I was laughing my little butt off thinking about the Q-tips shoved in the electric socket <laughs> yeah. and like where there's like band-aids and electrical tape. And by this point of the movie, I'm thinking like, Rachel Talalay is like having fun. Like there's, this is supposed to be a bit funny. Um, But where it's just like, what do you think the internet is? Or like, how how does electricity factor into this? Like, is everything a threat? You know, I I kept expecting, there's this horrible scene that I cannot wait to talk more about where um, the the rude dudes uh, bribe the babysitter to show her Yo, bra. Dude. And that was wild as hell. <laughs> I kept expecting like, I don't know, like a Tamagotchi to fall out and like <laughs> hit them. I was like, what's going to be the big like tech reel? But that's what I enjoyed about this movie so much is there's a lot of like tension build and then uh, misdirect, which I thought was like a great horror B-movie director doing this. Um, 
I do want to also say about um, the boys and Karen Allen were all in the Sandlot the same year. Oh, wow. And there's something about like talking about like it's the 90s and kids have baggy pants is like happening. And at the same time, we're making movies like The Sandlot that are like, remember what if the past was different than what it was actually like? How about that? Um, So I just felt like that was notable that like these two kid actors who probably with another 20 kid actors were all in the same movies and Karen Allen, too. Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember the Sandlot at all. Oh, I know. I'm I like. I feel. Movie. That movie. I feel like, like it's. It's one of those movies that lives in little boys' hearts. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those aimed at little boys. Um, and it was it was romanticizing a past that could not have ever actually happened. Um, but it was fun, and it had a a, a giant imaginary dog and <laughs> a lot of a lot of baseball, and I didn't recognize those two kids. From that, but that um, when I that um, babysitter scene and in the entire like role of the babysitter and how like uh rude dude I'm gonna borrow rude <laughs> dude rude dude was trying to mack on her Ugh. um, you know I, honestly like I didn't realize that um the director of this movie was a woman until after it was over and I looked it up because there was so much stuff in here that I thought was just like a dumb dude did um and it, and it kind of makes me especially in the light of the way that you all are describing some of these things too like it makes me look at them in a different light um because if she is having fun then maybe it's satirizing some of those things in ways that I wasn't picking up on because I'm I'm looking I was look I was taking it uh very much uh on a surface level I certainly wasn't uh thinking that there was much going on past that I don't think it was satirizing that in that moment. I I think one in my old age, I've become a little more forgiving Mm. media that has other things in it that I can appreciate. Right. Like that, the whole babysitter scene was very troubling to me. Like I did not like it. Um, I think what this movie does well is it has a consistent tone that is like the cheesiness tone of it. That's not like, for me, it's not ramped up too, too high. Like it's pretty fucking high, but it like, it knows where it sits. And I think that, that, you know, I, of its time in some ways, in terms of like, imagine being a female director in Hollywood in 1993, right? Like how much can you really push back? And would you want to, right? Like, are you, is it something that you even care about at that point? So I, I don't, personally feel like that was sad. Like I, I feel like that was very in line with who this kid is. Cause he's a piece of shit and annoying and we hate him. And, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to think that I think from our perspective, we're like, yo kid, <laughs> you've got problems. He is, he is a but- deeply unlikable child. <laughs> like, and, like, like and on an extreme for this type of movie where a lot of the times, uh, like you talk about a movie like The Sandlot, like you're rooting for all of these kids, even mm. though some of them are jerks. Like a lot of the, of the media at the time, like I feel like it was really easy to make a kid in that position very likable, especially if you felt like it was little boy against uh, adults who don't care. And, you know, it was it was it's an easy thing to position that kid as a as a super likable protagonist. But this kid is a jerk. And he's rude, very rude. exaggerated, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, as the character itself. Um, um, 
I am not a professional journalist, so you can excuse the fact that my research is not going past this first page of Wikipedia, but I was paywalled on this New York Times article called Are Women Directors an Endangered Species from 1991? Uh, So before this movie, where apparently uh, Talalay was quoted as saying that although she'd worked on the first four Nightmare on Elm Street movies, when she finally got to direct like the fifth or sixth one, uh, notes from the studio said, don't be too girly or too sensitive. Mm. And like... With the babysitter stuff, I had this thought that, like, if this was maybe an 80s movie, it would have been, like, the boys are peeping and her full tits are on display. Like, it would have been, like, even more gratuitous. And this is the small mercy I'm trying to, like, seek (laughs) as, like, a a feminist movie viewer. It's like, oh, she just had a bra on. That's nice. Isn't that nice? Um, And she she consented to this behavior, even though it's fucked up in uh, five different ways. I think I think the thing that was really striking for me about that scene and what made it seem extra gratuitous is that for a movie that does seem very driven by story beats, that scene had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> totally. Nothing to do with nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of character development for the kid, but I feel like it was pretty unnecessary. Like, yeah, that in that that scene in particular. Um yeah, it's gross. I, I, you know, I'm just I'm thinking a little bit about like female directors of the 80s and 90s that like, you know, had bigger hits. And I've been rewatching a lot of Catherine Bigelow's. So we're going to talk about Strange Days. Um, and uh, we talked about Near Dark earlier this year. And then Point Break is one of my all time favorite movies. And like there is, you know, a sexualization and objectification in those films. And I think, Kat, like your point is really interesting of like, you know what we I don't know any of these directors and I don't know the their politics and the choices well Catherine Bigelow went and made that fucking pro war bullshit but um other than that like what what concessions did they have to make right and what ways were they made uh, did they like ma- ma- manage things differently because of the system in which they're in and trying to get into right and I think that that's like worth reflecting on when engaging with films from any director of a marginalized background, even today. Right. But especially in the past, um, I would like to talk about, um, how Carl also known as the address book killer. I just, we need to talk about, we have to talk about him a lot. We have to talk (laughs) about both the premise of an address book killer and also the technology around him becoming digitized and then corporeal again. Um, I have to say I'm skipping around, but like I literally, I wrote out every way that everyone died. Cause those were my favorite parts of the movie. Like, yeah. I think that that anticipation of how we're getting to that, to the death of all these people is really fascinating, but like he goes into an MRI and after a address book was digitized, which also future technology that didn't exist at the time that does now. I'm just but, pointing yeah, that out. Uh, let's back up. I want you to take it from the MRI. So, but he has been in a car accident in which his car flips upside down, goes slides on its roof through a graveyard. And he is cackling <laughs> maniacally the whole time. Like, <laughs> like very like I am a bad boy. And it is. 
hilarious. So he that's all. Yeah. And even it. before that, he works at the fucking computer like nerd house and he's like lurking in the corner, just like staring and being like, I see that address book. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> so and how um, many and address also- books end up at the computer store? <laughs> <laughs> and Dude. you take it to Radio Shack to get it digitized or whatever. Um, okay, I, so now we're at the MRI. Because th- please clarify this for me. I was a little bit like, mm, then a thing happens. Now we're here. <laughs> That's it. There's no more to clarify. So, but it was the, magic. The, he the MRI like hit he, with the uh, with the fucking electricity in some yeah, way. And the light, yeah, and then it. Bzz, and he you know, became, and then your brain's in the computer. <laughs> was he corporeal at the end of the movie? Were those beans human beans or digi beans? I think, okay. <laughs> they had to be digi magnets. I think beans. they were the magnets. Huh? Like, no, but, but before the magnets, right? When so, he becomes like a big swarm of worms or something. Yeah, I know. I was so, they don't ever explain as far as I, unless I was talking over it because I was... <laughs> This was a raucous viewing also experience Also cackling for me. maniacally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to be fair, the end, I was like, okay, you could have like slowed your roll a little bit on the end, but also it wasn't as bad as some film endings that go on forever. Anyways, I was just happy it was over. <laughs> you're like, this is this is the this is the part. But so yeah, I don't. They didn't explain what he was made of and why like you couldn't really touch him, but he could touch you, right? Like I think yeah. I. But also like it doesn't matter, right? Like this in this kind of movie, you're like. Yeah, I'll buy it. You're made up of beans or whatever. There was one shot when he was being stretched apart as beans <laughs> where there were like little binary, little ones. Oh, yeah. So oh, he's he a was, computer ga- he's program. He's little information beans. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there would be like kind of the green grid that we all understand to be the net. Um, <laughs> <laughs> question mark. Um, and, and yeah, there there is like such a great setup of like these set pieces these gore like these death set pieces once we kind of get past the part where it's like her address book was stolen and now she's then we've got like the boss the babysitter the boyfriend date boyf date uh who works at the (laughs) crash test dummy factory oh yeah um and yeah you forgot about that that was like the fake out of all time it was the fucking it was so beautiful it was honestly like if i would i would show that scene to like a screenwriting class um and then i I knew i was like there's got to be a big final set piece with the big bad right but like uh, maybe it's a budget thing i'm like they could have made him a a transformer of all sorts of little tech pieces like there were there would have been so many ways to do this cool and instead i did think the entire like final sequence was a, a, a complete wash but I agree too. I think that the ways that the other three die are so good and we're like the practical effects in this are so good that the finale was a little lackluster. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so sad you did like this movie. You're just sitting here staring at us being like, I don't know why I'm wasting my time with all of you. uh, It was one thing for me to have uh, chosen a wrong movie. First mistake. Okay. Because I really thought it was ghost in in the shell at first, (laughs) but that's fine. Right. Um, I picked what I picked. I ate my movie dinner. I watched it. The problem, not problem, the the uh, the layer of existential uh, crises I'm dealing with in this moment is I didn't imagine in a million years that either of you all would like, <laughs> let alone both of you. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're just out there on your own. 
Yeah. Okay. Look, this is the show where our guest is critical of the movies that we love. I yeah. See. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. The whole next season will just be like, everybody come tell us why what we love is bad. Okay. I do. I kind of, I want, okay. We keep talking about the way these people die. I want to talk about this just a little bit because there is such a fascinating aesthetic here, right? Like the, these kitchens are so, <laughs> no, I'm serious. The production of these kitchens oh, the production. are, okay. Shut up, like. <laughs> no, 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 no. I really, I, I thought, I thought you were, you were commenting on like the, the, uh, the deadliness of the kitchens. No, I, no. I didn't realize like, it was the, the aesthetic. aesthetic. So yeah. the, the boss guy has this very fifties retro stylized kitchen, and then the babysitter's house that she's in has um, a very like, like eighties modern kind mm. of whatever, like glass just, brick. It's very aesthetic, and it, it just fascinating to me. So the first guy. You're just like you see him plug in his computer, and then you see you see uh, Carl, the the address book killer, like moving through. And it was so good how this was done because they didn't even need to use shitty bad CGI. They just had like camera running through cables, and you could right. immediately and the movement of that and yeah. like the cinematography of this movie is actually really good. And so you're like, oh my god, it's gonna come out through the electricity. How is it going to happen? Oh my God, the microwave's on. Like this, that ramping of tension worked really well for me. And then you're like, oh, the fire's starting. Oh, and then like, you're like, oh, and then what's the next thing? The mustard container explodes and then this explodes and then the popcorn is going. The bananas, like like, becoming irradiated or whatever. I was like, what the fuck is this? I, I, yeah. yeah. And you're like, none of this makes sense, but it's so visually appealing and so bombastic and over the top and ridiculous that you're like, sure, like I'm here for this. Like, uh, like electricity cloud would do this in a kitchen. It wouldn't, but like you're here for. I was here for it. And then the same, like kind of ramping energy with the te- crash test dummy guy who you already know is gonna die, and mm-hmm. you're excited because he's a dick. Um, <laughs> but the but but the fake outs, right? Mm. You're like he's gonna get run over, and that or he's gonna die in the. The first one, then he's going to get run over. And then he dies in the fucking bathroom with the the hand dryer. The hand like, dryer. of all the ways to die. And I was like, kudos. Like, that was so... To me, the the, the tension ramping is done really, really well. Um, The babysitter one was the one with the kid, right? And so, like, that was the the one that I was like... There's like knives literally everywhere. <laughs> in this I want to give a shout out to that baby. I think that baby was the MVP <laughs> of this movie because she, this was basically that first scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit with mm. Baby Huey or whatever. Like it's an it's an acting baby in a cartoon. If you haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I don't know, figure it out. Um, but like where she's just like keeps looking and it's like, ooh, a sparkly <laughs> knife, another sparkly knife, boiling milk, an oven. And I was like, this baby is like giving me the tension um, that also I was like, this babysitter's just going to die because she's an idiot, not because of like the address book killer. Also, for any of you who are, uh, visit the website, doesthedogdie.com, uh, there is another kind of protracted death scene that involves the main boy, like, trying to save his dog. That's pretty messed up. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But similar tension of, like, this, like, pool cover is moving. Also... This is the most, like, this is shot in L.A. and it's supposed to be Cleveland in December or something. (laughs) (laughs) Where he's, like, jumping into the pool and they're just, like, walking around in shorts. And I was like, yeah, this is not Cleveland in December, but. 
Was it supposed to be Cleveland or did you just pick a random city? Because I was like, I, at some point I was like, oh, did they ever say where this takes place? I mean, just I sub, guess suburb, we could figure out city. where the TWA call center is, where you have to dress like a pilot, question mark, <laughs> to answer calls about airplanes. Were they all, they were all dressed like pilots. They had like the little, the little Catholic school bows and they I, had- I thought she was a flight attendant at some point. I, I know that doesn't make any sense, but at some point I was like, why is she wearing a flight attendant uniform? I, I yeah. just, and there is, uh, this is like a great thing that happens in these movies, which was like, when you could still sort of heroically declare that you're against technology, as you call like the techno fairy, you'd have the character. The first thing she says is like, I'm around computers all day. Don't understand them. And it's like, you got it. If that line was in a character's mouth today, you'd be like, oh, that's the, that's the killer. That's the creep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, okay. So this is a good point um, that kind of transitions into something I was thinking about um, is that, there is a thing in here that I find very peculiar and it is the family values lines. And so remember, we, this is 93 Bush uh, lo- won, won the election in 91 or lost the election in 91. No, he lost in 91 or his entire presidential platform was about family values. That was the whole fucking thing. And so that's when family values got really steeped into the American political conversation and right. Family values is obviously a, a cover for racism, right? And, and heteronormativity and, and whiteness and all that shit. And so her password is family values. And then at the very end, the killer says, I'm sick of family values crap. So like, Mm. this was confusing to me in terms of the, how huge of a term that was in politics and conservative politics at the moment and and what that's what they're trying to say in this movie about it, or like were there other things that were referencing this that got cut out, and so now these two line these two things just like were left in there. I don't. Did anyone well, else know, pick up on this? I, I didn't. But now that you say that, I mean, it, the the idea of this kid's dad left, and now he's some stark raven hip hop lunatic. Uh, that seems to be an extension of that as well, right? Like. Like the movie itself seems to uh, be pro family values in a way that's very oversimplified. Um, and I think it's it's in a way that's meant to get uh, the suburban viewer whose who's money they were going for to identify with this family. Right. Like, because I, I, and, and I just like we couldn't identify necessarily what city this was in. I think this was supposed to be like suburbia USA, mm-hmm. you know. So I was actually kind of wondering that about like there's a little bit of character development for Karen Allen. Um, When Graham, the good tech man. The the hacker who literally (laughs) doesn't touch a computer, like doesn't do any hacking in this movie. Yeah, like, I mean, it's understandable that he's not like, oh, all the electricity is possessed by a demon. Like, instead, he's just like, we're going to find out who this hacker is that's causing all these problems. Like, fair. So he shows up to help this woman and her kid. And by the way, that's the Twin Peaks guy. Um, It is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And... He finds information out about her, like that she protested Nixon by skinny dipping in the reflecting pool at the Washington Monument. And she was like arrested a couple of times in her youth. And I was like, oh, I wonder if these are just throwaways. Like we're just 
again, like, is this part of the sense of humor of this movie that's just like, ah, suburban mom, but guess what? She has, like, a bra burn and past, or was there more to it? Like, I didn't pick up on the family values password, but it does kind of make me think that this was perhaps on the cutting room floor, like, more of a, um, what happened when this, like, wild woman became a yuppie and... Now she, like, works, you know, what is, I don't know, there could have been something there, but also, like, I don't know, as much as I enjoyed this movie and would watch it again, I don't know that this movie had the infrastructure to support, like, (laughs) any further um, commentary. Well, it could have cut out all the fucking gross babysitter sexism and Mm -hmm. also the love corral porn. Oh, man. (laughs) Remember that where he, this kid says... I call her butt an onion because it makes you cry. Yeah. And then the next scene is a shot of this like digital porn that like where this this character's like, would you like to remove my breast shield? Also, the VR was fucking great. Okay. Just, their is that faces what VR is super like? Imposed. No. <laughs> <laughs> faces imposed on polygonal bodies, I thought was just such a move. It was just such a fucking techno techno like I'm it was such a choice. I am dying to see the like behind the scenes footage of after the killer like I don't know like yanks him away in the in the VR and then in the actual like VR place he's just like falling <laughs> out of the thing. I was like did a did like a crew member just like yank that teenager off of out of this like yes. dance dance revolution <laughs> thing he's standing on because um I mean, I feel like uh, that was, again, better, like, realization of a tech thing than I've seen in bigger budget movies. And speaking of uh, realization, that's why, I mean, the the, uh, the, the sex bot scene, um, it read very true to me because that was part of my experience yeah. <laughs> on Earth when I when it was in high school and I got my first computer and it was in... My room, uh, I went and found all the little bad <laughs> graphic sex stuff that one could find uh, in 1994. So sure. that part read true. Um, gosh, there's so many points I wanted to make. One of them was that um, good hacker guy, Bram, mm. the hero. I realized now part of the reason that uh, I had trouble with this movie from the very beginning is because they tried to make that guy into a good guy. Right. That guy's not a good guy. That guy in Twin Peaks is the scummiest man in a town where the the you know the head cheerleader gets murdered. So like I could not accept him um, as a protagonist. As soon as I saw his face, I'm like, of course he's the murderer. Yeah. Of course he is. <laughs> it's that guy. I so, never yeah, watched I, Twin Peaks, so I feel like I uh, didn't like. I like I know that feeling when you see someone you've seen before and have a really strong attachment to that previous character you're like no you can't be anyone see unfortunately i think this is why i'm having trouble enjoying twin peaks is i feel that way every time kyle mclaughlin is on screen i'm like this Mm. is a bad doubt he did it he did it i've already found out who did it it mm, i still think it was my problem with that is that kyle mclaughlin to me is from sex in the city yeah and so i because i never watched twin peaks I don't, I don't remember Showgirls well enough to, to make that connection. So to me, he's just one like of the, the all time sh- sex scenes in a movie. Yeah, sure. But um, <laughs> I, I whenever I see like clips of tw- Twin Peaks, I'm always like, oh, but that's the guy that what's her fuck, Mary, whatever. Anyways, 
Um, Mike said, oh, the kid and the porn and all that stuff. Um, and like going to the arcade and whatever. This, I think it's interesting that we're all kind of like this kid's Mike, I feel like you had the strongest reaction to him, but that like, you know, he's like a fucking doofus, shitty teenage boy kid um, that isn't particularly sympathetic, but he has the most character development of anyone in this movie, right? Like he is such a primary character, which is fascinating because it's about a killer trying to kill everyone around this woman. So like, why is this kid so important? I think he has a lot of screen time. I don't feel like he has a lot of development. I feel like he just gets more aspects of his assholeness exposed but like he doesn't change much you know like i don't find i didn't find him any more likable at the end of the movie than at the beginning i just felt like he was a kid i never want to know in real life but unfortunately there's plenty of them i yeah well fair but i i i think i like it hit a spot for me where he like toned it down and was was basically like hugged his mom and like was glad she wasn't dead you know like there was a little bit of him like, I don't have to be a total asshole. Right. So they, they had lowered the bar so much. All he had to do <laughs> yeah. was would say one nice thing to his mother. One I, nice yeah. thing. I think that yeah, fully. he does have like, he has more actions to take. Like he goes from being just like, my my number one interest is my computer's calling. It wants me to like, <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm going to stay at grandma's and like light candles because we're in danger or whatever. Um, I, but this begs the question. Now, I'm a, a someone who was heavily marketed to by Pogs in 1993. And this, I had Pogs. I had lots of Pogs. But like yeah. a lot of promotional mm-hmm. Pogs. I'm surprised I didn't own Pogs for this movie. I would have. They expected to see like your fave characters from Ghost in the Machine uh, set of pogs. But is this a kid's movie? I think it no. could have been. I think really? it could have been. Yeah, I think with the well, positioning well, kid of this kid. kid. Like for it was this like a movie like The Sandlot, like for preteens? Because I, I think felt it's, like it kind of was because that kid was the most interesting character i think it's meant to appeal to both groups and Mm -hmm. i think it's because you have a very relatable female protagonist in suburbia usa and you have this rude dude Mm -hmm. kid that (laughs) some kids would want to be like yeah unfortunately yeah maybe what was it rated i don't i doubt any of us know offhand anyways probably we'll we'll look it up or something probably yeah there's 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 uh Computer it was woman great. boobs. The bubbling face. Oh, that guy. That death was awesome. But yeah, I could see a 13-year-old being into this. Yeah. All right, y'all. We will be right back with some freakouts. If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show. So, just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past period of time. 
I need to change our script. <laughs> Kat, what's going on with you? I am I am still talking about the rude dude from this movie. I found first of all, I think I maybe have met the guy who played the kid in this movie. Um he is uh has for many years been a professional martial artist and Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and we wow. do have a mutual friend on Facebook in my former jiu-jitsu instructor. <laughs> And I was just like, this guy's name is Will Horneff and Will with one L sounds really familiar, but we're from opposite coast. So maybe I'm just uh, filling in the blanks here. But I did find an article about him from uh, 2014 on a blog called Boomer's Beefcake and Bonding that calls Will Horneff gay subtext teen idol of the 1990s. Um, I just wanted to share this because I think that there are so many more gay subtext teen idols in the 90s that are like way more uh, influential, gayer subtexter, teener idoler than Will Horneff. But I appreciated this blog very much for just laying out like his three movies that he was like kind of in. Um, and it ends with this conclusion. He's been married to a woman since 2008, so probably heterosexual. No word on whether he's gay positive or not. So thanks to this blog for being extremely decisive on the issue. That's my freak <laughs> out. I feel like I just entered a, like, fever dream. Like, I almost <laughs> don't even know what the fuck just happened. <laughs> I mean, I just appreciate, like, what can happen on a blog spot and then you just you put it there it's on the internet you don't think about it again and then some idiot reads it on a podcast however many years <laughs> later they, and look this is this is techno fear this is why you yeah should I, we definitely didn't think about the like long-term ramifications of the shit we were building on geocities sites back no. in back in the day for sure yeah there's a lot there's a lot of embarrassing zangas oh yeah around Oh, yeah. Still there. All right, Mike, what are you freaking out about? Oh, man. Uh, this week, uh, we all learned of the dissolution of comedy duo uh, Desis and Mero. And um, I'm taking it hard. I'm taking it hard. Like, I think, like, culturally, it's a it's a it's a pretty big loss um, for people who are kind of like not corporate comedy you know like they they're independent they came up doing their own thing they got a podcast that got really popular and, and were able to parlay that into a television show on two different networks and ultimately like not only was it like this cool space for comedy that was never like it was always roasting something but it was never like punching down and it was also this really cool like interview show mm. where they they you know, on their platform, they put a spotlight on so many different cool creators. And I'm also uh, personally disappointed that I never got to be on it before it before it disappeared. Uh -huh. So there, there's a little bit of that uh, personal bitterness in there, too. But um, I don't know, you know, I'm pouring a little invisible henny out for for Jesus and Mero. I think I think um, they leave a cultural void behind Um and, um, you know, I hope the best for both of them, but I also hope that they do like a reunion at some point and, and get the party going again. Did it, do you know, it, did it end amicably I don't or think was it so. kind of, yeah, like some shit went down? Yeah. And, and mm. nobody really knows what happened, but it appears that they're going their separate ways. It's most likely something to do with money. 
Um, but I, I and, and as, as talented as they both are, I just think them as a unit means something. And um, I hope that they're able to get it together at some point down the line. Yeah. Anita, hmm. what's your freak out? So when I was a little punk child, I was obsessed with Tank Girl. And when I found out after watching this movie that Rachel Talele, who directed Ghost in the Machine, also directed Tank Girl, I was like, yo, what the fuck? Like that just hit a spot. So I remember being a teenager um, and being so obsessed with Tank Girl and thinking that she was so cool, partly because I was like really like Lori Petty, who plays the same character over and over again. Um, (laughs) So much so that I like bought tube socks from Target and wore them on my arms. I like made t-shirts with like white t-shirts and just wrote Sharpie on that, like Sharpie stuff on them. Like um, Mudhoney's song, Touch Me, I'm Sick. I had a t-shirt that said that. Uh, Just really like the, the, the sort of like fuck the establishment punk rock aesthetic of Tank Girl was coded into my DNA (laughs) when I was a kid. So I rewatched it last night for the first time in... I think since I was a teenager. Oh no. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I was like hyped when it started. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I remember this and that. And like, of course I would love this. Is it like as a teenager, like this would be my jam. And she like, you know, just, it's so visual and aesthetic and just like grimy. And, but like, you know, like, like, you know, she's got like a weird shaved head, but not, and like all these (laughs) weird clothes and, um, and like, they live in this like commune that's separated from like the mainstream, like just everything about it. But like the movie's really long, mm. <laughs> like it <laughs> drags. And I was really like partway through, like near, you know, definitely the third act of it. I was just like, oh my God, when is this movie going to fucking end? Like the, 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 the shock and the aesthetic of it really um, is, is where wore out for me. And so I'm having this, feeling of like revisiting the things that I love and them not nesting Mm. and like situating like the puzzle piece that they are. Um, You know, there's some representation issues in the movie that are troubling. um, But overall, I like the soundtrack is amazing. And it was clearly all the bands that I used to listen to when I, at that time as well. And like, I really appreciate it for what it is. And like, I can see how she made both of these movies because they're both very well-defined um, in what they are. Um, and also I think that tank girl, like as a comic book movie uses comic book elements really well. Mm. And I think that sometimes that can be done pretty badly. Right. So there's a, there's a interplay between actual comic pages and, and the movie. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, man, I wish superhero movies today would take note, you know, like that, like it's, it's got a, um, no one's taking themselves too seriously. Right. It's, 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 I'm tired of the Marvel, like, we're so serious all the time. And the Batmans that are just like so serious all the time that when I see things like this, I'm like, yes, like, let's have more of this, please. So that's my complicated, messy feelings (laughs) about Tank Girl. So just so we have it on record, uh, are we saying Tank Girl better or worse than Ghost in Machine? Hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to put that on Mm -hmm. record. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, okay, I will answer this question. I mean, I'm not going to answer this question with an exact, but I think Ghost in the Machine is more of a solid film from beginning to end. I think the pacing of it um, is really good. 
Um, you know, I don't love the themes of Ghost in the Machine. I think Tank Girl has themes that I can super get behind and has like an aesthetic that just like speaks to me, but like the pacing of it isn't as good and it starts to really drag uh, in ways that I'm like, hmm, this is a bummer. And it's also really rapey. Like I was kind of, I forgot, I either was not clued in enough. Um, Also having just watched Strange Days recently too, which again, we'll talk about. I was like, God, all this media in the nineties was just like, like low slash high key, like rapey as just like character development or just as like set dressing in a way that I don't think I was aware of as a kid. And now as an adult, I'm like really kind of horrified at just how like, in the background it is. And so in Tank Girl, there was quite a bit of that in ways that I was like, this doesn't feel good, you know? So whatever, Tank Girl forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe I won't revisit that. That's a movie whose aesthetic I remember. My sister's 10 years older than me. So like when I was a a little kid in the early 90s, I was absorbing a lot of what my like cool teen sister was watching, which is why I feel like I have an affinity for that without remembering really anything about the movie. So I'm like, oh, should I just keep it like that and not rewatch it as a adult person? But just watch the first 20 minutes. <laughs> and then maybe you'll get, maybe you'll I'll get what you comic. need out of it. I'll read yeah, the comic and like see how it fe- how that feels, I, you know. As as a person whose therapy journey has led them to a place where I, I watch a lot of movies that I used to love in order to help me feel my feelings. Mm. It's, it's it's a swing and a miss a lot of times. Yeah. It's a swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's honestly like a interesting theme maybe for a season of this show. Uh Well, that is our show for today. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Where do you want people to listen to you, find you, or leave you alone respectfully? Um, MikeEagle.net is my internet hub for all of my stuff. Uh, if you want to listen to the podcast or music or anything, you can find pathways to it all from there. And I tend to be on Twitter at Mike underscore dot Eagle saying random things. I am Anita Sarkeesian, and you can find me at Anita Sarkeesian on all the things. I'm Kat Spada, and I am on Twitter at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina. And you can follow Feminist Frequency on all of the things at FemFreak with a Q. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our guest, Mike Eagle. If you like our show, please help other people find it. Subscribe, rate, and comment on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Bye. That is so cute.